Good morning, everybody. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping those in the, the marquee and outside are going to be able to hear. I may, yes, good. Um, I, I was thinking I might have to get a, a kind of angry preacher, bit of a louder, a louder voice going on this morning. No, I get, they're shaking heads out there. They don't want me to shout. Um, well, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome again, uh, those who've arrived since Peter's initial welcome. Um, and whether you're in the cafe or in here or out there or at home, uh, we're really glad you're with us this morning uh, with another chance for us to open God's word together and listen together uh, to what God wants to say to us. Um, so let's take a moment and just um, pray and ask for God's help uh, as we come to his word. So let's pray. Father, it's our, it's our great desire in this moment as we gather together um, that we would hear from you and from your word, uh, words that would um, go right to the heart of who we are, uh, that this wouldn't just be uh, another Sunday morning where we go through the motions, but that your word would reach a place deep in our hearts and speak to us. Uh, and encourage us, and inspire us, and rebuke us if that's what we need, um, and heal us in the deep parts of our, our lives, and do us good. Um, Father, we know that you're a God who loves to speak, and so we want to say, would you speak to us by your word and by your spirit? Um, would you help us to be people who are ready to receive that word into our hearts and to take it into our lives where it'll make a difference. Uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are um, we're a couple of weeks into this uh, new series where we're, we're kind of looking through the Bible um, from Genesis to Revelation, and we're looking for good news. Uh, we're, we're listening for the melody of the gospel all the way through the story of, of the Bible. Um, I should say we're not going to go through like every book of the Bible because we did Genesis last week and we're doing Exodus today, but we're not going to go through every, every book because that would take a while. Uh, but we are going to come this morning to the story of the Exodus. Uh, the story of God bringing his people out of Egypt was the defining salvation story in the Old Testament. That was the characteristic, definitive, paradigmatic story of salvation in the Old Testament. And if you want to read the whole story, uh, you can read it, of course, in the book of Exodus, uh, especially the first 15 chapters. You can read the story of how God brought his people out. Uh, obviously, it would take a while this morning for us to read that whole story. So we're, we're not going to do that just now, but I'd encourage you to go and do it uh, this afternoon or later in the week. Um, but one of the interesting things about the Exodus, because the story is so important for the Old Testament people of God, the story is told again and again and again through the Old Testament, sometimes in a very quick summary, sometimes in a slightly longer one. And so we're going to drop in on one of those repeated um, accounts of the story. And it comes in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Um, and just to give you the, the context for when this was said, uh, the, this is near the end of the book of Deuteronomy. So God's people are on the edge of going into the promised land. They're right on the verge of going into the promised land and they're taking a moment to catch their breath and remember what has gone before and get ready for what's about to come. 
And one of the things they're told at that moment is, when you go into the land and the land produces a harvest, bring some of the first fruits to God's house, right? So this is what I want you to imagine. The harvest has come in. You take the first fruits to God's house, and then you are to repeat these words together, right? So these were given to the people of Israel to say together when you're bringing the first fruits uh, to, to God's house. And this is what they, they were to repeat. This is Deuteronomy 26, reading from verse 5. They said together, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. It's not a beautiful thing that they were called on to repeat together. Tell this story together. And actually, the way it goes on, you were then to place your basket of first fruits before the Lord, and then you were commanded to rejoice. (laughs) You and the Levites, the priests, and the foreigners living among you in the land, you are to rejoice together. That's a command from God. You're to celebrate together uh, in that place. Um, It's really hard to convey just how important this story was for Israel. Um, They tell it again and again and again, how they were slaves in Egypt and how they cried out to God and how God heard their cry and brought them out. Um, And one of the things that's really interesting is when they tell that story as the Old Testament goes on, they, they tell it as their own story. So even when generations and centuries have passed, they don't say, God brought our ancestors out of Egypt. They say God brought us out. And so they appropriate the story for themselves. This is our story. This is a story that shapes our identity. We were slaves and we have been set free. And that's really important to what we're going to kind of think about together this morning. This is our story. Um, From what we read there in Deuteronomy 26, um, you can already see the key elements of the story, and I just want to walk through them with you for a moment. What what are the key elements of the Exodus story? Firstly, uh, we were slaves in Egypt. That's the beginning point. The Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer and subjected us to hard labor. So they remember that struggle and hardship and how how hard it was, um, how painful it was. Secondly, really importantly, We cried out to God. It says, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Uh, If you remember, whenever you're reading the Old Testament, when it says Lord in capitals, that means that's the personal name of God, that name Yahweh that he gave to his people. And so they are calling on the name of the Lord. And we sang about the name of the Lord uh, just a few minutes ago. But they cry out to God and call on the name of the Lord. Thirdly, God heard our cry. They say the Lord heard our voice 
and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. And that, that element of the story is really important every time it's told. God heard us. If you go back and read in Exodus 3, whenever God, whenever God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, it's right there in the story. He says to Moses, I have seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their cry, and I am concerned about them. A few chapters later in Exodus 6, he says, I have heard their groaning. Their groans have risen up to God. So God is a God who hears the cries and the groans of his people. Fourthly, and I guess the the heart of the whole story, God brought us out, and I always love this phrase that again gets picked up all through the Old Testament. He brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He's not just a God who sees and hears and cares, but a God who acts, a God who is mighty to save. And in the, the story of the Exodus, God went into direct conflict with the powers of Egypt um, by sending the 10 plagues and then by drowning Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. He showed that he is greater than Pharaoh and greater than Pharaoh's magicians and greater than Pharaoh's armies and greater than the so-called gods of Egypt. He goes into battle with the powers of Egypt and comes out triumphant. He brings them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Fifthly, God brought us into a new land. That's really important. He doesn't just bring them out of something. He brings them into something new. He brings them into a new life in a new land. They're not just saved from something, but they're saved for something. A new life of freedom in a new place. And then sixth, and I think uh, it's essential that we don't miss this off at the end. The sixth element of the story is joy. So the people are told, when you tell the story, when you're bringing your first fruits to God, after you tell it, you must rejoice, (laughs) right? And if you go right back and read the Exodus story, um, whenever they came out of Egypt and they they came through the Red Sea and they landed on the shore, what was the first thing that they did? (laughs) It was they sang and they danced before the Lord with tambourines. You can go and read the story if you don't believe me as Miriam, the sister of Aaron, led the people in celebration on the shore. So the characteristic response to this story is one of joy, and we've, we've seen that this crops up again and again. It's the characteristic note of the gospel. Um, so that's a little outline of, that, that's the basics of the story of the Exodus. I wonder, can you and I say this morning that this is our story? Not just that this happened long ago to the Israelites, but that in some sense, this is also true of us. Um, Maybe I want to suggest this, that if if you and I are going to find the power of this story for us, then one of the the big questions we need to think about is, uh, we need to think about what slavery in Egypt might mean for us. You and I have never been literally in slavery in Egypt or anywhere else. Um, But we need to think um, specifically and seriously about this question. What is it in our lives that might hold us captive? What is it that might hold captive those we love? What is it that might prevent us from living in freedom? And I want to encourage you as we go this morning to be thinking about that question. Who is Pharaoh for us? 
what is Egypt for us? What is it that might hold us captive and in slavery? Let, let me mention a few possibilities. Um, it might be that immediately we think of life circumstances that hold us captive. It could be poverty or unemployment or sickness or depression or some other life circumstance that feels like captivity. Um, the story of the people of God in Egypt has been really important through history to, people, to the people of God when they suffer. Um, it's been really important to the poor and the oppressed who feel trampled under the foot of the rich and the powerful. So to give one big example, the story was really important to the African slaves who were in the Americas. They turned again and again to the story of the people in slavery in Egypt. So it may be that it's life circumstances that you immediately think of that hold you captive, that hold you, that keep you from living in freedom. But it may also be something else. It may be sin that holds us captive. Uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1, talks about the sin that so easily entangles. So there's an image of sin as something that it's kind of like chains or a, a rope that we get entangled by and we can't get free. It could be addictions and compulsions and destructive habits. It could be lust or anger or greed or dishonesty or something else. I wonder what it has been for you in your story. I wonder what it might be even now. Things that we can't get free of, things we can almost end up being resigned to that we're never going to be free from. Is it possible this morning that God might hear our cry for help and act in mighty power to set us free once and for all? Could this be our story, that I was a slave and God brought me out? It might be fear that holds us captive. I think that can be one of the big ones. It might be fear of coronavirus and cancer and accidents and rejection and failure and financial trouble and fear of a thousand little things that might happen tomorrow. And especially behind and beneath all those other fears, the fear of death, which can lie like a blanket over human life. Is it possible to imagine a life without fear? Is it possible to imagine life without that niggling or even crippling fear? Is it possible to come out of that slavery to a new land where we can genuinely sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Um, I want to I really encourage you to think this morning, and if you're not sure immediately, maybe take it away and think about it this afternoon. Um, what is it for you that might hold you in captivity? Um, I think it's really important to name those things specifically. Um, Adrian Drake um, got up here to the microphone last week and showed us the way, I think, and I checked with Adrian that I could mention this again, and he said his story is free to share. Um, but Adrian stood here and told us about an addiction to gambling that was there from when he was 14 years old. And he told us about how just in the last year of his life, he's been able to say he's been set free from that. He was a slave God heard his cry, God brought him out, and now he's living in a new land, and there's great joy in that. Um, 
Adrian's shown us the way. I wonder for you what it might be. I wonder, do you believe this can be your story, that that can be your story um, today? I wonder, do you believe that? Um, maybe, maybe you noticed when we were telling that story, there's one big part of the Exodus story that's missing in that little outline in Deuteronomy 26, um, but actually was really important to the people of Israel. Uh, and it's the part that the Israelites remembered every year at Passover, that on the night before they left Egypt, on the night when death came to every house in Egypt, God told them to take an unblemished lamb and kill it and put some of the blood on the door frames of their homes and then to share a feast of lamb and herbs and unleavened bread. And you remember the story that then death passed over their homes and they were unharmed. And you can see, I'm sure immediately, how that part of the story especially points us to the gospel. And when you get to the New Testament, the events of Easter week happen at the time of the Passover. And the first Christians believed that wasn't just an accident, but that there's, there's a, a connection between the two stories. Um, listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul writes, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. There's that note of joy again. Let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But I wonder, can you see how they connected? Jesus is the Passover lamb who brings a deeper and greater exodus. He was without blemish, and yet his blood was poured out. And he rescues us from death. He delivers us from slavery. He goes into combat with the powers that hold us captive, which are not the powers of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies, but the powers of sin and death and the devil. And he defeats those powers on the cross as his blood is poured out. And he brings us into a new life of freedom, characterized by joy. Um, you remember that beautiful verse where Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He's set you free to live a free life in a new land. So Jesus uh, brings this story to its climax and its fruition. Um, I was thinking about this this week and I, I was reading a little bit about it and I, I learned this week about a, a, an ancient song which Christians have sung for, uh, we reckon, maybe 1,500 years. So this may go back to like the 5th century AD. Uh, and in many traditions, it's still sung every year. Um, and it's, it's usually sung as part of the Easter Vigil. Um, in some traditions, uh, I think this is something we should try sometime, but in some traditions, there is a, a, what they do is on, on the night before Easter Sunday, there's a vigil where they stay up and they watch and they wait for the sunrise for, of Easter Sunday morning. And that's when this song was traditionally sung and is still sung in many places today as they wait for the light of the dawn. The song is called Exultet, which means rejoice now. <laughs> it's not a great name for a song. Rejoice now. Uh, and I want to read you just a little bit of it. I, I don't know the tune, so I can't sing it to you, uh, thankfully for everybody. Um, but I want to read you just a little bit of it. This is from the, the Anglican version 
of this song. It is truly right. I want you to imagine the darkness and waiting for the dawn of Easter Sunday. It is truly right and good, always and everywhere, with our whole heart and mind and voice, to praise you, the invisible, almighty and eternal God, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, for he is the true Paschal Lamb, which means the Passover Lamb, who at the feast of the Passover paid for us the debt of Adam's sin, and by his blood delivered your faithful people. Now listen to this, this repetition that comes. This is the night when you brought our fathers, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea on dry land. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin and are restored to grace and holiness of life. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. It's not a beautiful song. It's been sung by Christians for century upon century upon century. And I love that repetition of this is the night because again, they're saying this is our story. We're not just singing about something God did with Israel long ago or events that happened on the first Easter 2,000 years ago, but this is the night when these things come true in our lives again. Whenever the Israelites shared the Passover together and they ate the lamb and the the unleavened bread, they remembered the events of the Exodus. Um, Whenever you and I share the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in a little while, we remember the events of the first Easter. It's always important for us to to remember that remembering in the Bible is very different to what we often mean. It's not just recalling historical events from long ago, but it's about bringing those events into this present moment. It's about coming awake to the fact that the God who brought them out of Egypt is here with us now. That's what remembering means biblically. It's it's coming awake to the fact that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is here with us now. God is present and active here in this place, here among us, on this day, on this night, uh, wherever we are. He is still able to deliver and rescue and save. This is the night. This is the day. And so maybe my big question this morning is, do we believe that God is here now as deliverer, as rescuer, that he is able here and now to rescue and save with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I'm not just asking you, do you believe that he brought Israel out of Egypt? Or even do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? But do you believe that he's here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive, that he's able to bring us out of whatever holds us captive, that he's greater than your circumstances, that he's greater than your sin, that he's greater than your habits and your addictions, that he's greater than your fears and your doubts and your weakness? Do you believe that he's a deliverer even here and now? Um, I want to tell you a story just before we finish, and then I want to apply it back to us. Um, Let's have an image of walking through the dry land of the Red Sea. 
Um, let me tell you a story. On Easter Sunday, 1964, uh, about 5,000 people gathered at New Pilgrim Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and they were all in their Sunday best. And they were going to march to the city jail where Martin Luther King was being held in captivity. And those who were there say that the, the marchers set out in festive mood. There was a, a festive note among them. But then they saw in their way the police, the fire engines, the firemen with hoses blocking their path. There was a man called Bull Connor who was the leading opponent of the civil rights movement in that time. He was pharaoh for these people. He, he hated everything that they represented in their cause. And he gave the order, turn this group around. Um, and from this point on, I want you to hear the story in the words of someone who was there. This is what they say. I can't say we knew what to do. I know I didn't want to turn the march around. I asked the people to get down on their knees and offer a prayer. Suddenly, Reverend Charles Billups, one of our most faithful and fearless leaders, jumped up and hollered, the Lord is with this movement. Off your knees, we're going on. Stunned at first, Bull Connor yelled, stop him, stop him. But none of the police moved a muscle. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at their leashes were now perfectly calm. I saw one fireman with tears in his eyes just let the hose drop at his feet. And our people marched right between the red fire trucks, singing, I want Jesus to walk with me. And this, this is how they sum up what happened that day. Bill Connor's policemen had refused to arrest us. His firemen had refused to hose us. His dogs had refused to bite us. It was quite a moment to witness. And I'll never forget one old woman who became ecstatic when she marched through the barricades. And as she passed through, she shouted, Great God Almighty, done parted the Red Sea one more time. Right? I can't do it in the, the actual accent. I wasn't going to attempt that. But my question for you this morning is, do you believe that great God Almighty can do it one more time? I think that's the only question that matters this morning. That he can do it for you. That he can do it for the people you love. That the Exodus story can be our story. That God doesn't want any of us to live in captivity to anything, but to live in the freedom of the children of God. Um, do you believe great God Almighty can part the Red Sea one more time? Um, let, let's end with this. When, when the Israelites were trapped and surrounded in Exodus 14 with the Red Sea ahead of them and Pharaoh's armies closing in behind them, and I wonder if you ever felt like that, like the end, there's no way out and you're trapped. Um, this is what Moses spoke to the people uh, with God's authority. And I want you to hear these words this morning. Do you think about the things that, that might intimidate you or hold you captive or surround you? Listen to these words. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, the enemies who you see today, 
you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. Let's take a moment and be still and be quiet, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll sing together. Um, let's take a moment to be quiet. Father, I pray uh, that you would forgive us whenever we, we say lightly and easily that we believe that you did these amazing things long ago. But we don't believe that you can do it here and now in our lives. Father, help us this morning to believe that the same great God Almighty is here among us and he is mighty to save uh, Father, maybe some of us this morning here um, have never experienced your deliverance and rescue and salvation in our lives. We've never called on the name of the Lord. But we know right now this morning that we're not free. We're not living in freedom. We're held captive by all kinds of things. Father, would you help us this morning to believe this good news? that you are able to rescue and deliver and save with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and you're able to bring us into a new life of freedom, that the blood of Jesus can rescue us from everything that holds us captive. Father, help us to believe that this morning and give us the courage, even where we are right now, to call on the name of the Lord and to ask you to come and invade our life and set us free. And Father, maybe for some of us here this morning, we've been walking with you for a long time and we've experienced something of your power and your salvation in our lives. But we also know this morning that there are still things that hold us captive and entangle us and stop us living in freedom. Father, help us this morning to believe that you can part the Red Sea one more time. Help us to bring those things that hold us captive and name them before you this morning. And we pray that again this morning we would experience your mighty power setting us free and bringing us to a new land. Father, help us to hear this good news Help us to believe this good news. Uh, Father, we pray that we would experience it in our lives, that this would be our story. And that for some of us here, uh, as part of the service, this would be the day when this becomes part of our story. And Father, we pray that the joy of the gospel, the joy of this salvation, would spill over into our lives so we can't keep from singing and maybe even dancing with tambourines. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.